So um, we're in this new series called A Vintage Christmas, and we want to look at some of our favorite vintage Christmas movies and um, use them kind of as a jumping off point for the message of Christmas that we read in Scripture. And so this week, I've chosen the, uh, the movie It's a Wonderful Life, stars Jimmy Stewart. How many of you love Jimmy Stewart, all right? He's just an amazing guy. I love Jimmy Stewart. I remember actually watching him on the Johnny Carson show when I was, when I was growing up, and he was hilarious. He was, you know, getting up in age, but he was so funny on the Johnny Carson show. I remember watching him. How many of you love the Johnny Carson show? Watch it all the time, okay? Most of you guys have no idea what I'm even talking about. That's great. Like I said, I'm vintage. I'm vintage. So um, one of the things I think that makes this movie so great is that it is so relatable. There, the Kind of the idea of the movie is this main character, Jimmy Stewart, he starts his life with all of these grand ideas about what he wants. We see the little scene there where he's talking to Donna Reed and very melodramatic, and you're like, that verges on abuse. Let's not do that again, you know? And, and, and he's saying, I don't want to marry anybody. I want to do my thing and see the world, right? You know, he's like, he wants to, he's got his plans, and he doesn't want anything to interfere with it. And as he grows and his he goes on, he discovers that the things that he dreamed about doing, the things that he wanted to do, aren't really happening. And so he gets discouraged. And then there's this massive thing that happens where he's short $8,000 because the money gets in. I'm not trying to ruin the movie for you. If you haven't seen it, you need to watch it because it's a great movie. But he loses this $8,000 and he's so desperate. He goes to Mr. Potter, the bad guy in the movie. And when he goes and sits down with Mr. Potter, Mr. Potter makes a statement to him. He says, you're worth more dead than you are alive. That's tough, right? And so Jimmy Stewart's character, uh, George, he, he, he goes to the bridge and he's getting ready to throw himself into the river because he feels like that he's just, he's better off dead than alive. He's, Mr. Potter is probably right. I'm worthless. I have no value to anybody. I'm just going to end it all. And then he has this encounter with an angel. Matter of fact, it's angel second class, Clarence. He's not yet gotten his wings, and he's hoping that George will give him the opportunity to earn his wings. We're not sure about the theology of the movie. We're just saying that it's a fun Christmas movie, okay? And so, so I want to show you this clip today where uh, George uh, Bailey is interacting with Clarence the Angel, and then we're going to launch in a little bit more to the Scripture. Yeah, so you still think killing yourself would make everyone feel happier, right? Eh? Oh, I don't know. I guess you're right. I suppose it'd been better if I'd never been born at all. What'd you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. Oh, you mustn't say things like that. You... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's an idea. What do you think? Yeah, that'll do it. All right. You've got your wish. You've never been bored. You don't have to make all that fuss about it. Yes, this is a great scene. So, so have you ever been at that place where you felt so discouraged that you just wish you'd never been bored? Maybe even vocalize that. I wish I'd never been bored. Uh, maybe you've, you've been more extreme and said, man, I wish I was dead. 
right? I, I say that because I'm a person that's been in that position. I've, I've felt so desperate that I've said, God, I wish I'd never been born. I don't even understand why you put me on this earth. I've been so desperate at different points in my life where I've even thought about suicide. And I say that to you very transparently because I think that some of you have struggled with the same kinds of thoughts. And so what we feel when we see George Bailey in this thing is that that he is really struggling. And as we go through life, we want everything to work out, don't we? We want everything to fit kind of in a neat package. And when it doesn't, we kind of grasp for why isn't this working out the way it's supposed to work out? This is off script. This is not what I thought. And then we have people say things like this, everything happens for a reason, right? And you're thinking, really? Everything, right? And then it'll all work out. You think, really? Based on what? Right? I don't believe in coincidence. What does that even mean? I don't know, but I don't believe in them. I'm not sure if it's God or if it's karma or what, but I just don't believe in coincidence, right? And you have people that would say, you just haven't met the right one yet. Someday, how do you know? Don't ask me hard questions. It's just someday, okay? It just That's how it's going to work out. Now, how about this? I guess it just wasn't meant to be. It's not your fault. It's not his fault. It wasn't bad planning. It wasn't irresponsible actions. It just wasn't meant to be, right? There's all kinds of these things that we say or that people say to us, and why do people feel the need to say those things? Because we want it to make sense. We There's this part of us that wants things to be okay and to make sense. And sometimes we just say things because we just want people to feel better. But what if things are going to be bad? What if things are going to be a struggle? What if things are going to be a challenge? Jesus never promised us that that would not be the case, did he? Jesus never said, if you'll just follow me, I promise everything will be great. Be hunky-dory, the birds will always sing for you. You'll never experience the death of a loved one. You'll never get sick. Everything will be perfect. We have that promise one day, but it's not today. It's not today. And so, but what's, what's hard is, unless you're kind of a stinker, you don't look at somebody going through hard times and say, it's just life, suck it up. You know, right? You tend not to do that. Why? Because there's this empathy within us that says, man, this life really is a struggle some days. It really hurts some days. It really is terrible. People can really do awful things sometimes. Sometimes just the physical nature of the world that we live in. And, you know, I was talking to Pete this morning, his car was broken into. And, you know, it's raining. And these guys are, you know, that just stinks. And no matter what, you can't dress it up. You can't really you know, say things like, oh, it's all part of God's plan and you feel better. You know, it just, it's hard. It's a struggle. It's tough, right? And so, um, so as, as we go through life, why do we do that? I, I look at, I was thinking about, as I was preparing this um, last night, I was thinking about why do we do that? I was thinking about my dog, Maggie. And she never worries about stuff. She just, she just gets up. She goes outside, she eats, she barks at random stuff, she takes a nap, 
You never see her stressing out about how the nap connected with the barking or how the barking connected with the person going down the street or what if a real criminal came or she's not stressing about any of that stuff. She's just chill. And I thought, man, how cool would it be if we could live that way, right? Where we're just like, hmm, I think I'll bark at that. Okay, I'm over it. I'm going to take a nap, right? Wouldn't that be awesome? How many of you would love just a few days of that type of stress-free life where stuff doesn't necessarily stop happening, but it doesn't affect you that way, right? Because the real problem with stress is that we get up here, don't we? We live up here and all this stuff just cycles around in our brain and we struggle and we struggle and we struggle. And so um, the one thing that I know about God is that he loves to bring order out of chaos. He loves to bring purpose to pain. And you don't have to go very far in scripture before you discover this. And when we look at the Christmas story, even it's, that's the story of Christmas is this is incredibly difficult circumstances that God chooses to leverage to bring about the most impressive gift and blessing in human history. It's about your perspective. Let's read in Luke chapter one is where I want to start. And I just want to make a note real quick that I don't know where you are in your faith journey, um, but, but sometimes people have a tough time with the Bible. They think, you know, the Bible's just a made up story and, you know, whatever. Um, I just want you to, to, as you're listening to this story, I want you to observe the fact that this is not written like a fairy tale. Okay, this is written as someone who observed these events would write it. And it's just really cool to see, because if you were writing the script for the birth of the Savior of the world, you wouldn't have written it this way. You wouldn't have come up with this as the game plan. But this is the way that the scripture is written. So Luke chapter 1. Verse 1, it says, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. So, wait a second. Luke, it, it was something that you, you were there for? Yeah, it, it happened while I was here, and I've interviewed all of the eyewitnesses to this thing. It says, They use the eyewitness reports um, circulating among us from the early disciples, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. This doesn't sound like religious talk, does it? This doesn't sound like a made-up fairy tale, does it? This doesn't sound like something that you should check your brain at the door in order to kind of digest. This is somebody who was there, who interviewed people, who talked about it with people, who, who interviewed people who were involved in the historic process of this and said, hey, Theophilus, I know you don't know the whole story, so I want to bring you up to speed with what I've read. This is what Dr. Luke has done. Now, Luke, again, was not one of the disciples. He was a doctor, and he was profound investigator, and he was very good at putting together the facts. And so his facts are really detailed. So let's skip on down now to verse 26. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. 
And so uh, the interesting thing to me about Luke is that he has no idea how significant the statements that he is making are going to become. He had no way of knowing that 2,000 plus years later, we would all be gathered in a building talking about what he had written. He would have no way of knowing that. And so as he gives this detail, he's talking about Mary. Now, Mary was probably a teenager. She's going to get married to a guy named Joseph, who she may or may not have even ever met. We don't know. It happened a lot of times where you didn't meet until your wedding day. You showed up. You said, hey, you're going to marry this guy over here. I know you're going to get to know him eventually. I know you're probably not in love, but you'll work that out. Hey, say I do. That's how it went. Can you imagine doing things that way? So you're going to have kids. You're going to, matter of fact, have a lot of kids. And you're probably not going to live long enough to meet your grandchildren. You're going to die without anybody really knowing your name because you grew up in a dusty little place that no one really cared about at the time. And um, after 400 years of God not speaking to people, he shows up to this young teenage girl named Mary, who is really in a situation where nobody should be paying attention to her. There's no reason anybody should be paying attention to her. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, after God has been completely silent for 400 years to the people of Israel, he decides to speak again through an angel to a teenage girl. Wow. Again, this is not how you'd write the story of the birth of the Messiah. Unless you're God and that's your intent. Right? And so, as we read on down now, verse 28 it says, Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Can you imagine the surprise? Favored woman, what? I'm a teenage girl. I'm in the backside of this podunk town. And first of all, why are you even here, right? So it's, this, is, this is an amazing thing. Confused and disturbed, right? This is what the scripture says. Confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Wow. Now think about this. The last time that God spoke to his people, again, was 400 years prior. In that 400 years, the Babylonian Empire rose, and everybody thought that the Babylonian Empire was going to be the empire that would just last forever, but it fell to the Persian Empire. And when the Persian Empire came in, everybody thought, man, the Persians are going to dominate forever. These guys are so powerful, so big, so scary. And the Persian Empire fell to the Greek Empire. And the Greek Empire was so big right? And Alexander the Great spread that empire all over the place, and everybody thought, man, the Greek empire is so powerful. Who could ever beat the Greek empire? And then the Roman empire comes and supplants the Greek empire. It's the most powerful, and they spread out. Do you know that there are ruins of the Roman empire all the way in Britain? That's how big this thing was, amazing scope, amazing range. Who could ever outpace the Roman Empire? 
there's this little teenage girl that an angel appears to and says, your son is going to be the king of an empire that will last forever. But wait, we're, we're oppressed. We're, we've been completely kind of replaced as the dominant people. We, our temple has kind of been taken over by this guy, Herod, who's, who's kind of made himself what he calls the king of the Jews. And how are we going to, I don't even understand how this is all going to work out. Don't worry about it. Just know that I'm with you and I'm working my plan. And even when you're struggling and even when it seems rough, just know that I'm with you and I'm at work. Wow. So this is cool. Now, this next verse is one that preachers like to skip over. Verse 34, Mary asked the angel the obvious question, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. Now we know why preachers skip over it, right? But the angel kind of answers it in a gentle way, doesn't he? This is what he says, verse 35. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. So the idea for this passage is that um, the seed of man was corrupt. The seed of man is corrupt. And so every child that is born of man and woman has a, the seed of man in them, right? That's required part of the DNA sculpting uh, factory, right? You got to have that together. So what happens is that, that God says, this is going to be a holy child. And so the man has to come out of the equation and God has to step in. And he places Jesus in the womb of woman and he is born of a virgin to a teenage girl, born the son of God. And then here we go, verse 36, it says, What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. How many of you know that there are times when you go through struggles and God will drop something in your heart and you just need to know, is this for real? And so... So the angel, in order to help Mary know, yeah, this is for real. He says, you, you know your cousin Elizabeth, she's not supposed to be able to have kids. Well, guess what? She's not barren. She's pregnant, six months pregnant. How about that? How's that for a sign? So this is so cool. And after all of this, Mary's life gets back to normal, right? What we know is that the angel never appeared to her again. This is the one and only time that the angel ever appeared to her. And and because of the angel, all of a sudden, her life got infinitely more complicated, didn't it? Because of God's plan, her life got more complicated and difficult. She was just a teenage girl, going to go through the motions, get married sometime, have some kids, have a family. It was all going to be very normal, very acceptable, very a part of the plan. But then God shows up and messed up the plan, right? He made her life more difficult with this process, to which we say, man, that's not fair. And I don't want to sound disrespectful to Mary, but I I would be willing to bet that there were days when she was like, angel, could you come back and talk to me for a minute? Angel, 
The kids at school are laughing and making fun of me because I'm starting to show. And everybody, everybody's kind of pointing fingers and saying, oh, yeah, she's a virgin. That's her story. Can you imagine trying to explain to your parents? No, really, I promise. Nothing happened. I'm pregnant and I'm still a virgin. That you're going to maintain that, Mary, really? Do you think that we're dumb? What kind of an idiot do you think I am? I know where babies come from. No, I promise. The baby's from God. Can you imagine that? There are times, I'm sure, when, when, when she's on the donkey on a 70-mile trek to Bethlehem through steep terrain, and she's nine months pregnant, and she's ready to have this baby, and she's thinking, angel, I could really use you right now. I remember when Mary was pregnant with Daniel. She's about to give birth. She's about eight months pregnant, and we went to a pumpkin farm. Now she's nine months pregnant. We went to this pumpkin farm, and we take the, 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 the hayride back to the pumpkins, you know, and we're riding on this thing. And I was like, we're going to have a baby in the wagon right now. That's, Mary was like, oh, oh. And I'm like, oh, oh, right? I was not ready for this to happen right now. I was like, hold on to that water, girl. We're going to make it through this, right? And so, so here we have this, this massive trip. And, and, and I'm, I'm sure when she showed up in Bethlehem and there's no place for them to stay, She's like, Angel, you couldn't even call Motel 6 for us and get us a hookup. There's no room for us in the end. What are you talking about? This is, I'm sure there were moments when she wanted the angel to be present. Her life continues to go downhill because after Jesus is born, Herod puts out this order that all babies are to be slaughtered. All baby boys are to be slaughtered. Can you imagine getting that news? You're the mom of a new baby boy and you find out that the king, the president, the mayor, the leader of your town says, you know what? There's an edict. We're putting the army on it. They're going to come into your house. They're going to take your baby and they're going to kill him. Angel, where are you? Things are not getting better. I don't even know if this kid's going to live, much less be a king. Can you imagine the day that she's watching as her son is crucified? God, you said through the angel, I I know I'm not crazy. He showed up in my room and he said that my son was going to be the king and this kingdom would last forever. And now they're nailing him to a cross. I can't take this. Can you imagine? Mary's life was anything but cushy. Mary's life was anything but easy because of the promise of God in her life. It was tough. It was painful. And then she gets the amazing, overwhelming joy, though. of knowing that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, things make a little bit more sense. Now, things are coming together. 
right? Sometimes, and the reason I share this like this is because sometimes your life is such a struggle that you can't see how any of it's going to work out. And it just feels like pain after pain after pain. And sometimes in the process, we get mad at God. We get mad at life. We say it's not fair, right? How many of you have ever been like me and said, this isn't fair, right? How many of you have ever said that to your parents and your parents said, well, life's not fair, right? I tell my kids fairness ended in the Garden of Eden, right? It's not fair that Adam sins and you get to go to hell because he sinned, right? But it's also not fair that Jesus didn't sin and died on a cross and you get to go to heaven. So aren't you glad life's not fair? Right? Because if it was fair, we'd all be going to hell. But God said, fairness is not my point. Fairness is not my goal. I love you. And love takes fair and puts it on a shelf. And says, I'm not going to act out of fear. I'm going to act out of love. And God does something through that. So cool. So cool. And so, so as, we, as we look through this, um, we see that in the most difficult circumstances, God will bring order to chaos. And, and you can't... It's not valuable, I won't say you can't, but it's not valuable to get mad at God, right? I've had people say to me, I'm so mad at God. I've even had people say, I hate God. And the question that I have is, how's that working out for you? Has your life been made richer because you hate God? You find yourself more fulfilled and at peace because you hate God? You find that your life has more significance and meaning because you hate God? No, it's a dead-end street. It's destructive. It's painful. And what we see with, with Mary is, is so cool because she just positions herself to allow God to do what God's going to do. And I want to, um, I want to show one more clip here because... One of the things that I feel like God does so beautifully is he takes what seems unredeemable. He see, takes what seems so painful and he'll turn it around and make it beautiful. He'll, he'll turn around and make it so beautiful and so cool. It's so powerful. Um, in George Bailey's story, Clarence, you know, that scene, he takes, he takes George and he shows him what life is going to be like if he's never born, right? And, and unlike some of the other s stories where you've seen people that have never been born, they kind of go back and they interact as ghosts and they can't talk to people and they can't interact with people. And it's a wonderful life. George actually goes back and he interacts with people. And he talks to them and he, he sees his wife and she doesn't know him and she's, a, she's grown up. Uh, she's grown old and she never married and she's, she's bitter and she's hurt and she, she pushes away from him and this, this 
crazy kind of interaction. And he goes back and his, his brother was never, his brother died in a sledding accident because George wasn't there to help rescue him from the ice. And you have uh, this, this person that took poison in the drugstore because, because, the, uh, because George wasn't there to help. And there's all of these things that happened bad because George wasn't there. And sometimes, guys, we take for granted the little things that we do to add value to the world, the little things that we do that change the way things go for other people, the little things that you do, you don't even know how you interact that has changed the world for someone. Because you're here and you're no accident. God designed you and placed you here on planet Earth in Baltimore right now for a reason. And it's a good reason. He didn't make a mistake when he made you. And so George finally hits this moment where he realizes, man, I want to be alive. I'm so grateful. And he starts to pull out all the things that he's really grateful for that he's missing because he's been so focused on all the things that he wanted that he didn't get. How many of you guys, you're, you're guilty of sometimes getting focused on the stuff that you want that you don't have instead of focusing on what you have that nobody else has? George realizes what a great marriage he has and what a great wife he has. He, he realizes how amazing his kids are and how beautiful his friendships are. He realizes the value of this little small business that he has and how it's helped people even though it's not this mega empire that he thought he was going to have, he's got a small business that made a big difference in a few people that couldn't have experienced it any other way. And George realizes all of this stuff. and He's like, wow, 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 I want to live. So let's watch this clip and see how George responds. Clarence! Clarence! Help me, Clarence! Get me back! Get me back, I don't care what happens to me. Get me back to my wife and kids. Help me, Clarence, please. Please. I want to live again. I want to live again. I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. Hey, George! George! You all right? Hey, what's the matter? Now get out of here, Bert, or I'll hit you again. Get out of here. What the Sam Hill are you yelling for, George? You... George? Bert, do you know me? Know you? <laughs> you kidding? I've been looking all over town trying to find you. I saw your car piled into that tree down there, and I thought maybe you... Hey, your mouth's bleeding. Are you sure you're all right? What you... <laughs> Bleeding, Bert! My mouth's bleeding! Zuzu's pedals! Zuzu! There they are! Bert! What do you know about that? Merry Christmas! <laughs> Did you love that? What a great scene. That's, that's what happens when we get focused on what really matters, right? That's what happens. You know that It's a Wonderful Life uh, was voted the most inspirational movie of all time. Why? Because Everybody can resonate with George because we've all had those moments where we feel like we don't matter, 
nothing's working out the way we want it to. And we just wish that we'd never been born. But then the way that the movie cast a perspective on, hey, you matter. Your life matters. God created you for a reason. That, man, that's, that's powerful. And it really helps to stir something in us that we relate to. I want to flip over real fast to Ephesians chapter 1 as I'm starting to land the plane here. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. That's good news. How many of you know if you're going to receive an inheritance, it's great to receive an inheritance from someone who owns it all? Right? For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything. How many things? Everything work out according to his plan. How many of you are glad that even when things don't work out according to our plan, God has a way of making things out work, work out according to his plan? Isn't that awesome? So when Mary was going through her life and she is going through the ridicule of people making fun of her for being pregnant without being married at the time, you know, going through the ridicule in that culture. It was more than this culture because in that culture, the penalty was death. You were supposed to be stoned to death if you got pregnant out of wedlock. And so it wasn't just about pointing fingers and laughing. It was about there was a real threat to her life if the wrong person had come and grabbed a hold of her at the wrong time. She could have been put to death. And so going through that was a tough deal. Then you, you got, again, the 120-mile donkey ride. You've got the, the slaughter of the babies. You've got the cross. You've got all of these things, and God worked it out for good. How in the world? Like, if you're reading that, if you're, you know, if you're an odds maker in Las Vegas, and you're putting odds on this lady's son becoming the savior of the world, what do you think the odds would be? Especially on Good Friday. The odds don't look great. I remember as growing up as a kid, I always thought, why do they call it Good Friday? Shouldn't they call the Friday after Thanksgiving Good Friday and then that one Black Friday? It seemed like they got them mixed up. I don't know who the marketing reps are, but I would have called that Black Friday because that seemed like a pretty rough day. It was Good Friday because that's the beginning of the good news because Jesus had to die so that you could live. Praise God. Right? And so it didn't look good in that moment, though. But she also didn't see that 2,000 years later, people all over the world would gather in her son's name. Right? She had no way of knowing that cathedrals would be built to honor him. She had no idea that his closest friends would be willing to die to make sure that the message of his story got out of the first century. Wow. So that's the power of the story. I want to look at one more passage here that I think sums up how we should respond in life's circumstances when things don't go the way that we think it should go. This is Mary on the front end of the journey in Luke chapter 1, verse 38. She says, 
I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. I think it's interesting that the angel waited for her statement before he left. The angel was there to make sure that her faith was locked in before he moved on. And after her faith was locked in, she didn't need him to be present physically because her faith was set that God was who he was and he was going to do what he said he was going to do. And that was all. Let it be done to me as you say. This is so cool. And, and I don't know what you've been taught about faith in your life, but some people think that great faith is when your faith is so big that you can move the hand of God and get him to comply with what you want. That's not really what great faith is. Perfect faith moves us to trust God when he doesn't seem to be moving. That's what real faith is. Faith is saying, you know what, I'm holding on to you even though things aren't going the way I thought they were going to go. I'm with you, Lord. You see, sometimes we think that because things aren't going according to my plan, that they're not going according to God's plan. But that's the wrong mindset. That's the wrong mindset. Trust, hold on to God. Hang in there even when things don't go the way you think they're supposed to go. I know you went to college. I know you got a degree. I know that you had the right internship. I know that you had the right job offer, and then things fell apart. God's not worried about it, right? I, I know that you thought that you were starting to get things settled in your family, and then something went bad wrong. I get it. God's not worried, and you shouldn't be either. I know that things haven't been going on with your health the way that you hoped it would be, but God's not surprised. Trust him. Hang in there. He's working on your behalf. Amen? Would you stand with me? I want to pray over you. Father God, I just feel this strong sense that there are so many here this week that are just legitimately struggling with life. Things feel hard, things feel out of control, things feel impossible. God, I pray that you would get a hold of their heart in a way that their faith rises up. I believe, Lord, that real faith isn't produced by our belief. I believe that real faith is produced by your spirit working in us. I believe that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. I believe that faith rises when we're in your presence. I believe that faith rises when we pursue you. And so, God, I pray that in the midst of whatever struggle these amazing people are going through, God, I pray that you would show up in a way that their faith would be sealed and strong like Mary's. I pray, Lord, that each person in this room would be able to say, God, I am your servant. Let it be as you say. God, let us trust you, come what may. No matter how bad the struggles are, no matter how big the pain is, no matter how deep the despair is, God, let us push into you because we know that you're working on our behalf. Lord, we trust you. We give it to you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.